I had this surgery and I was really riding high. It was kind of my, the best time of my career. And I just kind of a freak thing. My shoulder popped out. I had my, my, I had my teammate just pull it out in the huddle. We just kind of kept playing. And when it finally was determined, I played a couple more games and I was, I was really hopped up on, I was taking a lot of painkillers and tordal shots and everything just to get through the day. And it was, I was not a good version of me. I wasn't a good version of me on the field or off the field, but you, you do what you, you can to help the team when you're committed to that team. But when it, when I finally re realized like I'm really hurt and I need to, I played four, I'm probably, I think maybe four games after that and, and realized I was really hurt. My whole thing was, I just want to attack this like a bull and just let's go have surgery. Let's do it now. Let's go and just start going through the rehab process and getting better. And I wish I would have been more disciplined, taken my time, looked at other opportunities to different kinds of rehab that are maybe going to work better for me. Maybe a surgery that might've worked better for me instead of just diving into it. Not because I don't, trust the people that I did the work, work with, but that's part of being an owner of, of your career. You know, you talk about athlete entrepreneurs, athletes are entrepreneurs. You think about it. I mean, that's all we really are, right? Everyone's kind of running their own business. And my business is my output on the field. That's that's my business and it's only mine. You know, other people are paying me to do my job, but that, that really is how I look at it. And that's one of the places that I really faltered. Hi, this is Mike Wall, 11 year NFL vet, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Salm, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Welcome back to the Head and Tails podcast. This week, I'm excited to have on Mike Wall, who's a retired 11-year NFL veteran, seven years for my favorite team growing up, the Green Bay Packers, three with the Carolina Panthers, one season with the Seattle Seahawks before being medically retired from the, the sport of football. Uh, he's also the founder of Unrivaled Systems and Process to Perform, where he also hosts uh, the podcast uh, for Process to Perform. And he spent his career making holes for my favorite player growing up, Amon Green. And I was watching highlights and other videos that you've been interviewed, watching literally opening up holes for a guy that, you know, I literally wore his number in Pop Warner. So it's a, a cool milestone for me on the podcast. Excited to have you on. And I'm looking forward to kind of diving into your journey through the mindsets that you've kind of developed and what you're teaching today with process to perform. And, um, specifically the, the three dials. But what I kind of want to start off with is like, you played 11 years in the NFL. Like for me to fathom that is like, I played 10 years total, like starting from flag to when I got hurt. And like my body couldn't handle that, obviously, because I couldn't play anymore. So I'm just curious, like, tell me a little bit about your career, what your maybe you do you have a key to longevity or, or what? You know, it's funny. I, I always told myself if I got a chance and, and so I'm, I'm one of those kids both my parents were teachers when I was younger. Uh, my dad ended up going into a, a, another business. He owned his own business. It was a uh, it made you know steel component parts and manufacturing parts. But education was important. But I remember when I was I must have been in like third grade and I you know they, they what are you going to be when you grow up paper you know that everybody writes and I was like I'm going to be a pro athlete. And my teacher told me to write something more realistic. And I told my teacher I'll take the grade. Cause like there was never a doubt in my mind, even when like I got cut in football at high school, I got not cut, but I got benched from, I was a quarterback, a bad quarterback. I got benched at, you know, Navy. I went from a tight end they didn't have a tight end anymore and, and went to play wide receiver. And then I got knee braces in my locker spring ball, my freshman year. And I'm like, I guess, I guess life's over. I'm a lineman now. 
You know, it just, it was just one of those things. It's what I always wanted to do. And, and I told myself if I ever had the chance to make it, and this is kind of old school mentality, I think maybe more than it is this now with, with, you know, self branding and how much money these guys are making. My whole thing was like, I'm going to do whatever I have to do from a routine standpoint, from a, a preparation standpoint to be the absolute best version of me for as long as I can. And in my mind, I, I was lucky I got drafted by Green Bay in, in 1998. I was only 21 years old. My, in my mind, I was going to play 15 years. Like there was no question about it because I just felt good. I felt going good and going into that ninth year in Carolina. But unfortunately, my, I, I just did a, I did one of these counter gap pulls, hit somebody with my shoulder, my shoulder blew up and. It was just started this trickle of, of bad surgeries, bad rehabs and blowing it out again and, and having to call it a day. But for me, it was always it was so much about being the best version of myself on the football field, like just doing everything I could, leaving no stone unturned, doing everything I could to, to be the, the best version of me. And then just being happy with that, going home, hang out with my wife, hang out with my friends. You know, I didn't let football necessarily. I didn't use it as an identifier. You know, it was it was a job that I was super passionate about. I wanted to be it my whole life. But you know, there wasn't jerseys and stuff hanging on the walls and everything. We just, we lived our life. I just really, really love the preparation and, and everything that goes into kind of being an elite level athlete. That's, that's cool. And it's funny you say like jerseys on the wall and stuff like that, because that's how I grew up. And I, as we mentioned before we got on this call, like my identity was like 100% football. So when that was taken, it was, I struggled. So is that something that was like, kind of ingrained in, in your family that it was like, yeah, we do this thing called football, but and we get after when we're working, but it's not who we are. Well, you know, my, I think my parents had the trophy room, like everybody else's parents did that were like good high school athletes. They had, they had a trophy room and things were sitting. And my dad was an athlete. He was an all state guard in, in, in high school. He went to Oregon state to play football. So we have a history of, of playing, but yeah, there was always perspective, I guess is probably the best word to use. We just always had perspective about what was what was important, what mattered, and how you approach things were pro- was probably more important than you know how it necessarily was going to turn out, and that just defined you more as a man and as a you know husband, father, etc. So, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; like my parents had great tailgaters. My my wife threw some great parties during football games, and we, we really really loved the playing in the NFL. I, I can't imagine anything more fun to do for somebody with my personality. Like I loved it. I'm so happy I had the opportunity to do it. But again, there's it does make it easier, I think, with when we get to talk about transitioning out and those those different kind of things. It, there, there's some uh, you just have a different perspective. So we talked about your longevity, and you said a lot of it had to do with kind of just how you approach the game, right? Just wanting to get after it every day. So explain what process to perform is and what you're working on today, and then specifically what the three dials in three dials are. And then I would like to just kind of look at the injuries you suffered, concussions, losing 50 pounds, retiring from football, all those things through those through that lens just so we can kind of connect with the audience that might be going through any of those things. Sure. So I think the first thing is, you know, back in 1998 when I started all the way to when I retired in 2009, medical concussions, all the, the talk that we have now about players' health and safety, it just, it was different. And our mindset was different. And I can't tell you how many undiagnosed concussions I had I can't tell you how many times that, you know, the doctor is like, you need to sit out. I remember I got kicked in the head by Bill Romanowski in a preseason game and I was loopy and we didn't, you know, concuss- you know, we didn't know back then. And the, you know, our doc, our team doctor, who's a, a dear, dear, fr- I consider him family to me. He's, you're not going back in. And I'm like, get out of here. He's like, it's preseason. I got, it's football, man. I'm playing, you know, and we just didn't, that's right now. When I say that out loud and you imagine in, in society, what's wrong with you, but that's just, we didn't think about it. We, it wasn't one of those, we didn't have long-term considerations. And so 
a lot of the stuff that I do now, it's process to perform. I started running a podcast, but really, but beneath that podcast is I work with, with aspiring athletes really at all levels from professional down to preteen. And I give them the tool set to become elite. And we talked about those three dials that we want to turn. And this really applies, I think, to any competitive industry, but really in sports, for me, it comes down to mindset development, technical mastery, and then making ownership decisions in the best interest of future you. Of course, we can you know break those down a little bit more, but for me, those are the key components of what it takes to be ex- highly successful in a kind of a, a very, very competitive field. And they're really an accumulation of all the things that I'd learned and made mistakes on during my, my career. And then when I came back into football, I retired in 2009, I, I went out into finance for a while and I just really missed football. And when I got back in, in uh, kind of on the other side of the ball, I just started realizing that because of the hours that were allowed to be spent in the sport, because of branding that was so popular, the money that was being thrown around, all the off-field opportunities that were being introduced to players that maybe weren't before, the way that people were becoming popular was more on like sound bites and and ESPN clips instead of just being really, really good at the sport, being being kind of what I like to call masters of their craft. And so I really just thought there was a, a huge value add to be able to give these athletes a tool set that helps them reach their ceiling. So at the highest level, the guys that you see playing on Sundays, they're still not even anywhere near the best version of themselves. And if we can just get those guys to get into the process of becoming that, they're going to have better careers, they're going to be more satisfied, and they're going to they're make more money and you know, all of that. I have so many friends that have called me post-career and said, I just wish I would have put more time into it. I wish I would have given it the respect it deserved because it was such a special moment in their life. And then from there, I just started thinking, how young can we start ingraining these, this tool set into athletes? And um, I, I've worked with kids 12, 13 years old, and we work in all different, all different confrontational sports. So my whole thing is, if you're going to enter into confrontation, which means it's me versus you at some level, uh, there's a 1v1 matchup, and it takes time to develop a skill that's specific to that sport, we can break that down into very simple uh, component parts, movement patterns. We can teach that and make you the, what we like to call a technical master. So there's a process to do all of this, of course, but that's really the impetus for it. No, that's really cool. So earlier, you you had alluded to a shoulder injury that you had you suffered in um, Carolina, and you said that it was kind of a bad rehab, bad surgery, and it was kind of like a trickle effect. So, can you take us through kind of like the three dials or lack thereof, maybe one of the, a few of the dials from that experience that might help an athlete who might be you know not taking ownership of their rehab right now during a, a yeah. So and and that's super interesting. The way that it happened for me was that I had this surgery and I was really riding high. It was kind of my, the best time of my career. And I just kind of a freak thing. My shoulder popped out. I had my, I had my teammate just pull it out in the huddle. We just kind of kept playing. And when it finally was determined, I played a couple more games and I was, I was really hopped up on, I was taking a lot of painkillers and tortle shots and everything just to get through the day. And it was, I was not a good version of me. I wasn't a good version of me on the field or off the field, but you you do what you, you can to help the team when you're committed to that team. But when it, when I finally re- realized like I'm really hurt and I need to, I played four, I'm probably, I think maybe four games after that and, and realized I was really hurt. My whole thing was, I just want to attack this like a bull and just let's go have surgery. Let's do it now. Let's go and just start going through the rehab process and getting better. And I wish I would have been more disciplined, taken my time, looked at other opportunities to different kinds of rehab that are maybe going to work better for me. Maybe a surgery that m- might've worked better for me instead of just diving into it, not because I don't trust the people that I did the work work with, but that's part of being an owner of of your career. You know, you talk about athlete entrepreneurs, athletes are entrepreneurs. You think about it. I mean, that's all we really are, right? Everyone's kind of 
running their own business. And my business is my output on the field. That's, that's my business. And it's only mine. You know, other people are paying me to do my job, but that, that really is how I look at it. And that's one of the places that I really faltered. And, you know, I, I attacked, uh, recovering from that shoulder injury as hard as I could. I, I, six weeks out of uh, surgery, I realized I wasn't in a good spot. I wasn't where I needed to be. So I, I took my family, I moved to the other side of the country and started rehabbing something, somebody else. But unfortunately that injury never allowed me to get back to where I needed to be from a movement standpoint, strength and everything. And, and then I, I ended up blowing it out a second time when I was playing with the Seattle Seahawks. And I was very lucky to be around a great training staff, medical staff and surgery went as well as it could have. But unfortunately the, the pre-existing damage was just such that at the end of that rehab session, recovery session, I just wasn't the player that I wanted to be. Um, I couldn't perform at the level that I wanted to. And, and Seattle was so gracious. And, you know, back then the general manager, John Nidzik, uh, had come in and said, listen, we want you back. We want you back. And it, if you can get whatever you can give us, we want because of the things I can add to as far as being a leader in the locker room, et cetera. And I just couldn't deal with not being me. Like I, I was good when I when I was at my peak. I was good. I, I knew I was a good player. I was very I was very confident in my abilities, and I couldn't live with not being. I couldn't. I shouldn't say I couldn't deal with playing and just not being me. I didn't want to do it ever again, and so I made that decision to retire. And I think for me, to be honest, that helped me a lot because whether or not you say, well, you, you retired because of your shoulder, in my mind and the way I've approached that, I made that decision to retire. Like I, I, I wasn't forced out. I, I could have given it another shot. I just, I, I'm much more at peace with myself because in that moment in 2009, the day the training camp started and I went out and I remember I hit Chris Spencer, our center to test it out. And my shoulder dropped again. And I just said, I don't think this is for me anymore. So it, I think it made it, I think it made my life a little bit easier. But when you think about your mindset, your mindset, you go into something like that, you know, it, it really is. Everything starts, everything really starts with you lean on what I call your non-negotiable character traits, you know? And for me, a lot of that has to do with resilience and the desire to get to where you want to go. And so I, I leaned on those very, very heavily through that whole rehab process. And I was able to, you know, go out and play at a, a level that was probably good enough for a lot of players. But for me, it just wasn't. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, man. And that's something that I, it took me a long time to kind of learn about. It's like, I told you a little bit about my injury, but leading up to that severe injury that ultimately was career ending for me where a doctor saying that, yeah, you're never playing football again. It's, I had a shoulder injury that led me to favor my other shoulder. And then that injury was like, all right, well, I've, then I heard I have two bad shoulders. What else am I going to hit with? I'll hit with my head. So then I hit with my head, get a concussion, keep playing. And then it's a trickle effect. And like that whole time, I'm not playing at like the level that I know is my best level. I'm just like schlepping through surviving out there just to say that I'm playing and I'm tough, quote unquote, or whatever. And when I was listening to your story, it sounded like after that initial shoulder injury in Carolina, you almost kind of felt that way. You weren't at the same capacity that you were before in terms of performance on the field. And earlier you mentioned like making, I think, ownership decisions towards your long-term goals or, or something along those lines. Ownership decisions, the best interest of future you. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Thanks for uh, yeah. Better better paraphrasing. But when you just play and you're like kind of half-assing it out there and you're not full at like a hundred percent, that's not necessarily like a long-term strategy. No, it's not, and it's not, and and and, and sometimes you, you got to understand like the business football. Sometimes a dirty business, right? And I, I'm sure all professional sports are, and they want their best players out there. 
And at that point, I was one of their best players, right? And so what happens is instead of getting an MRI, you know, the week after the injury, when everything's calmed down, they just saw, oh, let's put it off another couple of weeks. You can just, you know, you just have a torn labrum and you can play with it and kind of put it on you to, hey, it's just a pain tolerance thing, just a pain tolerance thing. And so you're like, oh, okay, well, these guys write my checks. I play for these, you know, I love playing with these players. I want to do the best I can for this team. And this is, this is who I am as, 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 a, as an athlete. I'm going to give it all I can until I can't give it. And again, it just goes back to information is king and those kind of decisions. You know, if I, if I had had better information earlier in that transition, I probably would have made a different decision, but I didn't have that information. And, and quite frankly, when you're in the middle of that and you're in the middle of the season, you're trying to make the playoffs and you're coming up on, you know, year eight, I really want to end at the point in your career where you're having some success, you know, and, and getting recognized for it for the first time. I don't want it to stop. And so you really, you press and you probably don't ask the questions that you should ask because you're afraid of the answer. Yeah. And I think culturally, not that I played in the NFL, but I feel like we played at, we played football during similar times, the same era at least. And yeah, when they come up to you and say, oh, it's a pain tolerance thing. Well, what is like the underlining meaning of that too? Or how you interpret that? Like, oh, pain there's tolerance. Only one like, way, there's only one way to interpret that. <laughs> exactly. Like, well, I guess I'm pretty soft then. Um, or other terms you could use to describe that. But yeah, I mean, exactly. It's a, it's a different era. But I think while we're on that topic, like, how do you see football when you played versus how it is today? Do you like how the game is changing? Do you think it's changed enough? What do you want to see? I miss violence. Honestly, I miss violence. And I don't say that. I, I don't say that like, um, I don't want to see anybody hurt out there, but I miss good old fashioned. I want to hit you as hard as I can because, the, you know, I think um, I think the, the coach for the, the Chargers said it best this week. He was talking about, you know, why is the run game important? And he was talking about what that does you know, from a physical presence standpoint to the defense. And because of fantasy football, because of sports betting, because of, of ESPN highlights and, and all the money that's going in, in, into the, the quarterback room now, the rules have changed in a manner that it really puts the onus on the defense to not make a mistake that is going to cost them money or a fine or because of, of a high hit or a hit to the helmet. And so the brand of football has actually played at a more cautious level, which in my estimation is usually creates more injuries and from a volume standpoint. But also for me, the quality of play has gone down a lot. And that's a that's a function of some of the things we talked about before, whether it's, you know, time in the building, time spending, you know, perfecting your craft, having the right people in the room to teach you kind of the the, the core fundamentals of the sport at a young age and, and the tool set that we talk about now. So I like watching the sport. I really enjoy it. I have I have specific players that I, I love following and there's some really phenomenal athletes in the game. But you know, it's like it's like every generation changes and and especially now with all the rule changes they've made, it's very difficult to start even comparing kind of what happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago to what's happening now. They were talking about this morning with Joe Burrow. Like he could break every record in the record book, but the records are different now. So it, it's a it's a completely different game to me. Um, I, I miss some of the just good old fashioned. I'm going to knock you over the pile. Don't stand around the pile. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit you. I want to drive you. I, the physical stuff that was involved with Lyman, I, I just really appreciate that part of the sport. I think it's what helped me differentiate myself. So I, I definitely miss it. Yeah, no, and I like getting that perspective because from someone myself who like literally almost died playing football, I would never not play football again. Like if I could go back, it wouldn't be like, don't play football. I think I was 
I embraced a little too much of a caveman approach. Like instead of trying to go out of bounds or trying to run away from people, I would like see contact and just trying to run people over. And I, I personally think that's probably why my career ended shorter than I wanted it to. But it is interesting that you say that because yeah, I think on the especially specifically on the defensive side, yeah, they're probably a little cautious as to how they're going to approach each tackle because they don't want to get a penalty that could potentially alter the game. But I do feel like I've been seeing tackles on defense that are like perfect form tackles, right? Like in the stomach area. And like, there's some hard hits. Like I think I saw a hit on like Gronk a couple weeks ago where he like went out of the game for a rib. Busted his ribs. Yeah. yeah. But like, it was a clean tackle. It was like a picture perfect tackle with a guy coming across the middle. That was like, honestly, three or four years ago, that probably would be like Gronk getting depleted, helmet falling off, like, you know, getting his face pounded in. So like, you win some, you lose some. Like either it's your rib or your head. Well, but. There, there's a performance aspect to teaching technique in the right way, and I think we miss that sometimes. Like there's a tremendous amount of bad tackling in the NFL, for example. But if you learn to shoulder tackle and you understand the performance benefits of like striking same foot, same shoulder, wrapping somebody up, squeezing with your you you understand the performance benefits of all this. You're actually going to have those really really super clean hits that are highlight hits, but. I know he busted his ribs, but you know, generally you're, they're not up at the head. You're not, you're not busting somebody's knee and you can just have these really, really clean plays. And again, there's this deal where we do, we do this a lot in sports. We make these statements about safety or, or we're taking this ability away from these, these players, but we're also not doing a great job of coaching them on what I would just call these technical fundamentals of the sport, like blocking and tackling, like we used to. And so, cause you have to adjust for the rule, right? So what does the rule call for? Well, I, I can only hit in this window or so, so on and so forth. I can't hit with my head. Well, actually the shoulder is a better thing to tackle with anyway. The performance benefits are that I can actually grab you now. Whereas if I give you that extra eight inches of my forehead, I can't. So we just have to be able to make those adjustments and you see those adjustments and you, you just describe one. But I think that process is happening. It is happening. It's just not happening as fast as maybe we'd like. Yeah. And I think when the helmet rule came into place and stuff like that, and guys are trying to avoid going low, they're doing the opposite. I think you alluded to that, like going for the knees and then guys are getting all these knee injuries. I'm like, now that I have a, you know, an NFL player on the show to give us a little inside pick, I, I'm always looking at a perspective of like, aren't you guys like all kind of on the same team, even though you're not on the same team? Like at the end of the day, you have the same goal is like to win, leave the game, be healthy, Play, live to play another week and, and get another paycheck hopefully so like i just never understood why a guy would like oh well i'm not gonna go for the head but i'll just go right for his knee and like tear his acl like is, is there like a, a bro code like in the nfl that's like you <laughs> just code. don't yeah you just just don't do that kind of thing i think with some guys there is now i mean you could see like, you could definitely see people brother-in-law out in the nfl from time to time but i think the thing that you're talking about now is it's almost, I don't want to say like petulant child, but it's almost like if you, if I told you know, when my kid was five and I was like, and I, was, and I said, you can't hit him in the head and he sees the size, like, you can't hit me in the head and he saw the size of my body. He'd be like, well, okay, I'm going to take you out of the ankle. And then that's, what's going to happen. Right. You know, it's, it's the reaction is I don't, I can hit here and it doesn't hurt that bad. It doesn't hurt me as the tackler. If I hit you in the head, it doesn't really hurt me. I can hit you in the knee or the ankle. It doesn't really hurt me. If I hit you in the core, it could hurt all of a sudden, or, or if I catch a leg, it can hurt. And so because again, I might not be technically advanced enough to do that in real time with good, you know, and execute that with the right technique. So the answer has been, oh, I'll just kind of 
curl and just dive my shoulders into their knees. And if it happens, it happens. And I usually get the guy down. If I miss a couple, well, no harm, no foul. And if somebody gets hurt, like injuries are a freak accident in football. So you start justifying things away. Right. And it's also your job on the line. So like missing a tackle versus yeah, you, you know, hurtling me or something, or I don't know. <laughs> what is it? The best ability is availability. Like if I get hurt trying to tackle you, cause I took one in the face from like your knee. It's probably something they don't want to do. You know, it's it's it, people make business decisions every single day in every single walk of life, and they make business decisions in sports as well, especially in football. Yeah, no, I love that analogy that you made, and I also think personally that I underestimated probably the technical skill that it takes and those those business decisions that are being made when each tackle is happening, like in an NFL game. Because my in my mind, I'm like, oh, it's like easy to hit that target area or whatever. But you don't think of the other decisions that kind of cascade off of where you decide to hit them. And it happens so fast, right? And it's like we one, one thing we talk about at it, with with our athletes is you have to be able to automate all the basic like core components of your sport because all these sports are really about decision making, right? And and how fast can you see something and then react to what you see? And so we have to be able to take out that, how do I do that? Like we have to take that process out by automating it. If we don't automate it, or if we have really bad habits, that's where people get injured. That's where people miss tackles, lose their jobs. No, it's just an awesome conversation. I'm having a lot of fun. So take us through retirement. So the day that you decided to retire, what was that like? And then did you struggle? Uh, I know you said you, you never really had your identity fully in football, but what was it like a what next scenario or... Because I had been rehabbing for four or five months before I actually retired, I some idea that I was preparing myself the whole time, like, man, this might not work, you know, in the back of your head, just being honest with yourself. And so when I retired, we packed up and we went back home and uh, I had some ideas of things I wanted to do. I was always interested in, in, in getting into finance. I had met somebody in North Carolina that I was kind of interested in working with. So I immediately went in and started getting my series uh, licenses and and just like jumped into something almost because... You're always like when you play when you're an athlete, and people don't understand how really important this is and productive it is. Being on a routine is like one of the most productive and healthy things that we can do as humans because it helps us be present all the time in the moment that we're in. And that's a really, really that's a gift. Like that's a really hard thing to do for a lot of people. And so my thing was, how do I how do I just kind of maintain a routine lifestyle? But now I'm going to be home more. You know, be around the kids more, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. Try to find a new career, and you know, trying to juggle all that. I think is difficult, but also somewhat exciting. But for me, it was really about, and I didn't, I didn't know this, like I'm not doing this consciously, but I just, now that I look back, I go, I was really just trying to figure out how do I stay on a routine for the most of my day so that I can enjoy the things that I want to enjoy and then put in the work that I want to put in. And that's, I think that's what got me, especially for the first couple of years is, is just having a plan to go after having some goals to set, like with those serious tests. And I went and got my CSCS so I could be a certified strength conditioning specialist. And, um, you know, just things that I was always interested in, but football took up a little bit too much time. I just started working on those. And then, you know, life just starts happening before you know it. Yeah. And just you kind of listening to that process or the thought process for you, you know, I'm looking through your your three dials and there's there's mindset involved. There's technical mastery. You're just gaining skills in different areas where, where it was finance and where it was um, the CSCS and strength and conditioning. And then the lifestyle aspect of it, that's going to go towards your future goals. It's that routine. And I think people 
take for granted. Like when you're in school your whole life, you have a routine set for you every single day. And when you said that it helps you be more present in the moment, I never honestly ever thought about that ever, how like a routine makes you more present in the moment. But when I think back to times where I had definitive routines, yeah, like I was pretty present, especially when I had a goal that I was trying to go towards. So that's really cool. I think what's crazy is for athletes that are transitioning out of sport, is and it doesn't really matter like the the best thing about sports to me is no matter what level you play at like that's the place to be you know if you play d3 basketball that's the place to be on thursday night man it's it's you know there's there's no um the hierarchy is kind of almost external right like if if you're good enough to play d2 great if you're good enough to play pro great it doesn't really matter wherever you're playing that competition is real and you enjoy that and you those are the experiences you're going to have but when you're done playing sports i think the hardest thing for an athlete or the a lot of my friends is you are no longer or your time is no longer the priority, right? Especially if you have like a family and you're a little bit old, you know, I, I, at that point I had two kids and you realize like, oh, I don't have to go to work this morning. So I got to watch, I got to watch the kids now because my wife's going to go do something. Or, you know, you, you start like sharing other people's schedules where I think in football, especially during the season, it's seven days a week and you're pretty slotted out. So your routine is, you know, your schedule, it takes priority and precedent in the, in the house, because that's, that's what's going on. But as soon as you get out, life changes a little bit. So you think, do you think athletes kind of get derailed by that a little bit? I think, yeah, I really do. Because, you know, look, to be a really good athlete, a lot of, like a lot of psychologists will tell you, like, there's a little bit of narcissism involved in their personality. Right. And when you get out, when you get out in the rest of the real world, the rest of the people, and you realize like, now you're just Mike, now you're just David. Now you're just, you know, Joey, it doesn't matter. You just have stories to tell that maybe some other people don't, but you're going to be judged now, especially if you go into another competitive industry, like you're going to be judged on your own merit. And I think that's really tough for people to understand that, okay, I don't have, like, I don't have priority. I went to the doctor for the first time. It's like, I'm not going to walk in. No, no, you got to wait in the waiting room like everybody else. Like what? (laughs) You know, those, it's those little things. And those happen at, at the highest level, but even if you just take, you just take that routine and all of a sudden you're, you're working at a, you're working at a desk job from nine to five or something for the first time. And it's like, man, like, when am I going to the gym or once feel, I don't have all these things I have to do. I, I have to be here now and I'm going to do, I'm going to leave when my boss wants me to leave. I'm going to take lunch when everybody else is taking lunch. Like these are the things that change in your life. And you just realize, I think a lot of athletes want to be entrepreneurs because they don't like being the cog in the wheel. Right. You know? Yeah. I'm kind of there too. Um, (laughs) so can you tell me a little bit about, like you said you looked into finance, but I'm guessing you're still, you're not doing that anymore or. No, I stopped doing, I was in there for a couple of years and, and got, you know, we got into uh, some hedge fund trading and we built out a a small, uh, like a mortgage loan registration company through that, through that same service. And it was really funny. Joe Philbin, who was one of the assistant line coaches and the coordinator, or the line coach, then coordinator for the Packers when they won the Super Bowl, he took the job in Miami. And I had had some friends uh, go down there the month before, and uh, or excuse me, the year before for about a month or, or two weeks during training camp. And they're like, dude, you got to go check it out. Like, you miss it, right? You just miss being around it. And I went down there and I had such a good time that I just called my wife up and I was like, I think I, I, think I want to get back into sports in some capacity. I just miss this. It just, it, it's just so much fun. And I really get a kick out of, and I didn't, you, you kind of want to leave sports because you want to build that other identity. You know, a lot of people feel that way, but I really get a kick out of helping athletes kind of athletes that are committed to their cause. 
I want to help them be the best version of themselves because there's so many roadblocks and there's so many things that I stumbled on. They just are really not necessary, right? That you can just kind of help people through or, or give people a tool to deal with. And so, yeah, I decided to get back. I worked in Miami for four years in that building, learned a lot as far as how that structure works, what some of the pitfalls are. And that kind of rolled into what I do now, which is just work directly with athletes. Again, like we talked about before, mindset, technical ownership and development, um, excuse me, development ownership and, and technical mastery, because there's a huge opportunity. I saw the huge opportunity there. And then obviously when my, as my kids were growing up, there's just a lot of things that are different now in this generation that, you know, if we backfill some of that information and that tool set, we can find a lot more success. Yeah, no, 100%. When you did the finance, was that like an entrepreneurial endeavor? Like, were you building that yourself or were you like a cog in the wheel type deal? No, no. so I, I started working with a, uh, a guy that I met in, in North Carolina and working at his company, a small company, you know, uh, 35 clients, 100 million plus under management, um, not a big company at all, but stuff that was really interesting to me, a lot of math involved. And then I went out, I, I went to London Business School because I was getting a lot of conversations because I was an athlete, but they always wanted to talk about athletics and they didn't want to talk about finance. So I, it was one of those things I feel I felt like it might be a good idea for me to tick that box in order for people to take me more seriously as kind of a financier, right? And then obviously when you're over there, there's a ton of options open to you being an American living in the city of London. And that was, so that was a, a eye-opening. And and again, I came back and at this point was was kind of where I needed to make a decision. If I was if this was going to be a career, I'd been doing it for about four years and this is what I was going to do the rest of my life. Or, you know, there's this, there's this just nagging thing about, man, I just really like putting a t-shirt on and working with athletes. And is there, is there a way for me to do that? That makes sense for what our family dynamics are and, you know, what we want to get out of raising kids and, and, and being a husband and wife and everything. So how did you make that first step to making a uh, process to perform a business? You know, I think the, a friend of mine told me one day when we were sitting in, in Miami that he just looked at me with a smile on his face and he said, I think you're unemployable. <laughs> and he was, he, was, he was saying that I just, like I said before, I, I just don't really like being a cog in the wheel. It makes me uncomfortable. And I realized that's asinine considering I played left guard, which is, is exactly what you are. But yeah, and I kind of look at it now it we're all just really entrepreneurs of our, of our own bodies and our own kind of the output we put on the field. And I do, I do, I didn't look at that way in a verbal, I didn't verbalize that when I was playing, but I would say now that's exactly how I treated myself. And so I wanted to do something, one that I could use the skill set that I was most passionate about. I think I had the most to offer. And then two, being in, being with Miami and seeing, seeing the quality of knowledge transfer that was actually happening at the NFL level now seeing where these guys were getting out of like their college coaches even down to high school how far behind I thought they were in a lot of the areas that I found as a professional athlete that was had some success I found were so so important and kind of the our our creed and commitment to being a, the best version of us that I just thought man if if I can devise a system that gives people that process that gives people the opportunity to develop their own tool set and take ownership of their careers, even at an earlier age in the professional level, we might be really onto something. It might be, it might be something that can really you know, help me kind of stay engaged with sports and, and benefit the youth and the next generation. It's interesting you say that because I feel like people always talk about like the evolution of sports and the evolution of the games. And you've got kids training with their baseball batting coach from the time they're four years old. I think people's perspective is that if anything, athletes today are at a higher caliber than they were back when 
we were playing sports, but from what you're saying, that's actually not the case. Well, I would say America knows how to build an athlete, right? We can build athletes. And my pushback to you would be, there's certainly, I think people are bigger, faster, and stronger across the board than than, than where they were 40 years ago. But, you know, something happens when you are constantly told what to do. Something happens when you don't ask, when you have access to information on your phone and you don't have to go out and I have a question. So I have to go out and and find somebody and learn something, or I have that curiosity to go pick up a book and read it, or I want to get my hands dirty and do it myself. There's a curiosity that comes with that, that we don't necessarily have in droves now. And with that curiosity become, and, and the, the desire to be really good at something, well, that's how you take ownership of your career. Right. And so what I see a lot now in kids of all ages is they can look great. They can do some things very well, but when things are struggling, when situations are bad, do they have a way to identify, assess and correct what I like to call their areas of opportunity? Like, can they self-correct? Do they need somebody to always tell them what to do? Right? Like if, if you take them off that structure, are they professionals at any level, right? At any, at any competitive level, let's call it. And then the other thing is like, we pour so much money into sports now. I mean, my youth sports bill is pretty high too. I got two kids playing sports. I mean, soccer. Is, I thought soccer was going to be like this, uh, this sport that I put my kids in because everybody can play soccer. But then you realize that club soccer is not that way at all. It's actually just like every other sport. You got to pay, pay to play. But with coaches, I mean, how many experts are there online now? It, it's absolutely absurd, right? And the, and most of them are putting together either programs that are not very good or they're cookie cutter and they don't address your specific needs, right? So again. All of this leads me to saying, like, when I wanted to get good at something, I'd, I'd go figure out how to do it, or I'd go ask somebody, and then I'd go figure out how to do it. That was hands-on experiences, right? You ask questions. You just go find if if I needed a technical coach, I go find one. If I needed a if I needed an ART guy, you'd read about ART, and you go find that. You go find these people, and you have those experiences, and you start building up your own career, right? And now you own every process of it. And when you have that, there's a lot of confidence that comes from knowing that your preparation is putting you in a position to be successful, right? Like, what's the one thing do you think that is important to an athlete? Like, what, do, what are we all here doing? Like, what's the purpose of, of training, of, of, of lifting weights? Like, what is that? What do you think we're doing that for? Like, what's the, if there was one word, what would you use? To me, it'd be like performing on the field. Like, yeah, I, it is. It, it, I, so I would use the word, I would use the word confidence. I'd say the, cr- the crux of a successful athlete is ultimately confidence and how we develop that confidence, right? And so the manner of which we go about that and understand that there's confidence in your preparation, like that's the only kind of confidence somebody else can take away from you. So that's what we try to preach here. Yeah. And I think the curiosity aspect of what you're talking about is also interesting to me because it's almost like without curiosity, you really can never take ownership because then you're only going to be getting like spoon fed, whatever that expert who's in front of you is saying, whether they know what they're talking about or they don't. And it might be the best for you or it might be the worst thing for you. But if you aren't curious to look into it yourself, how are you ever going to know if it's actually the best thing for you and what your long-term goals are? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's and again, it goes back to like, just because they're top 10 on Google search doesn't mean they're they're the best guy for you. And I, I think that's there's opportunities everywhere, right? You, you know, some people see that as a, as a great system. I saw it as a, as a broken system. So that's where we're at. Right. <laughs> well, as we wrap up the conversation here, I kind of want to go back to the retirement from football. And I know you recently became an ambassador um, for the Hall of Fame Behavioral Health. So can you tell me a little bit about like 
what made you want to become an ambassador and how does that kind of play into um, what you're doing with Process to Perform? Well, I think probably the main reason is that I have friends, retired players. My wife is on, you know, like Facebook groups with wives of retired players and a lot of guys struggle and they really struggle with, there's a statistic and I don't remember the number, but you know, there's 80 or 90% of of guys out of the NFL for three years are either dead, divorced, or broke. I mean, it's like, it it used to be a really, really high number. They used to throw that out every time we were with the NFL PA meetings, uh, every annual, annual meetings, excuse me. And you know, anytime you see an opportunity just by becoming an ambassador and obviously like I work a lot on mindset and and the approach to the game and all those things and how you treat yourself off the field and all those with my business anyways, but the opportunity to let somebody know that if you are suffering and, you know, you just happen to be a friend of mine or you, you, my name is familiar to you. You remember, remember me from playing in green Bay, playing in Carolina, and you can, you feel comfortable reaching out to me, maybe then calling that hotline and we can just have that conversation and see if it's right for you. And for, to me, that that's just something that's a kind of a no brainer. And uh, I think they're doing great work over there. They, at the Hall of Fame behavioral health, that, that whole platform, um, Lisa who's running it is, is doing a wonderful job. And, and they have some pretty lofty ambitions, uh, you know, to be able to cover a, a lot of people. And they, they have a heart program that will provide care for athletes and their families as need be. And so I, I just think it's a great platform and I'm really proud to be part of it. Yeah, that's really cool. You're kind of paying it forward. And I love the aspect that you said, like the way you thought about it is that if they just saw your face, your familiar face, you're like, oh, I remember playing with Mike. I really like Mike. I'd be comfortable enough to call so I could talk to Mike if he's someone that I would talk to. I think that's a great reason. I also forgot to ask about like how you lost 50 pounds uh, after retirement. And I talk about that because honestly, offensive linemen after retirement are some of the most jacked people I've ever seen in my entire life. For those that actually do lose the weight, just they have all that. I've never seen people with just more muscle mass and they're like Greek gods. Once they lose all that fat, it's, it's crazy. You know, what's nuts is like, usually so everybody hovers around 300 pounds and I'd say all my friends have either up or, gone up or down 50. So they're either 360, 350 or they're 250, 240. And you know, for me, because of my shoulder, I actually walk around a lot smaller than I'd like to. I was big. I was really, really into weight. I would talk about preparation. I was really into weightlifting. I, I loved being strong. I did the world's strongest man competition. I mean, I loved all of it. And so I would love to walk around at 265, but my shoulder just won't allow for it. And, and when I realized I was done, because I was already into the, that side of the, the strength conditioning side of the sport, I already had a nutrition plan and kind of a weight loss plan that I was going to go through. And it was funny that I just felt really, really good about myself. And I remember I weighed myself, I was 265 and I just, I didn't want, I wanted to kind of live there for a year and just see how that felt. And, uh, I remember I got on the scale again, I was like 245, like I had a tapeworm or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I, I was just, I just dropped by the bottom, dropped right through. And I actually had to like power eat to just to get like stabilized again. Cause I think I got down to like 230 to yeah, maybe 230 pounds, which which wasn't a good look being bald and real pale and everything. It was a tough look for me. So I tried to put on a couple more pounds. One of the best football games I've ever been to was an army Navy game. And I know you play football at Navy. So I guess before we kind of sign off here, what was it like playing in an army Navy game? What's funny about the army Navy game is when I was there, I think the first two, the first two games I, I didn't play in, they were really competitive and all the pomp and circumstance that they have is it's just a lot of fun because there's so much involvement from around the, actually around the entire world. Right. But we used to play in Philly at that stadium and all the videos they're showing are from like, 
you know, Okinawa's, you know, base is doing a, a, a beat army video and, and all of that. It's, it's a lot. And all the, the, the teams walking in, or excuse me, the, the, the core cadets and, and the midshipmen walking onto the field and the president's there. And you got to remember, like, all of us are not going to play football. I mean, this is, this is very, very pure football. Like all the athletes at the Naval Academy and, and, and at West Point understand this is the last stop. Like the next stop, we're sitting on a ship. So we're going to enjoy the hell out of it. And this is usually the last game of the season. But it's a great experience. The one thing I always I try to tell people about rivalries, though, is I, my, my junior year was my last year there. And, and when, I, when I played in that game, we knew that we were a much better team. Like we, 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 we should beat them handily. And so once you kind of remove all of the, oh, it's Army and all the emotion, you just go out there and play, you realize it's a fun game, but you, know, it, we, you shouldn't, shouldn't make it more than it is. Like this is, this is just another victory for us on a, on a way to hopefully some bigger and better things. But they are, they are fun to play in. They are fun to play in. One question I ask all my listeners is, what's your definition of toughness? And I'm curious what your definition is and if it even differs from when you uh, were playing football. So I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known how to define it then maybe in the same way. My definition of toughness would be that somebody it, it's probably goes along the lines of resiliency. I'd probably use that very similarly. Somebody that is just willing to do what they know is right even though in the short term it might cause them a lot of pain and be able to push through for as long as it takes for them to be successful. One of those non-negotiable character traits probably my favorite one that I talk with athletes about is is embracing short-term pain for long-term gain. And uh, that would probably be my definition of tough. Love it, Mike. Appreciate that uh, definition. And then lastly, where can listeners uh, connect with you online and, and learn more about Process to Perform? Yeah, you can check us out at processtoperform.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at Unrivaled ESS and Process to Perform on Instagram. The Process to Perform podcast is on, it's a player development podcast, uh, parents, players, and coaches. You can check that out anywhere you get your podcast. And then I know your guy, Amon Green. Amon and I are now doing a, a Packers podcast every week during the season. It's called On My Blocks. You can check out On My Blocks, same thing, anywhere you get your podcast. But uh, yeah, if you're uh, if you're interested in player development or just have questions, hit me up. And, and usually what will happen is if you hit me up on Facebook, you know, Mike Wall on Facebook, but if you hit me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything, you have questions, I'll usually answer them on the podcast. So easy way to communicate. Mike, really appreciate your time telling me all the stories about playing in the NFL and uh, your perspectives on mindset and where the league is today. And it was one of my most memorable interviews uh, to date. It had, I had a blast. So thank you for, for coming on. Um, I'm excited to share it with my audience. And uh, yeah, thanks, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. It was fun.